Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. All right, how many of you have listened to the song I Took a Pill in Ibiza? That is a extremely popular song. Over 1.6, I believe, billion people have listened to that song around the world. It was actually sung by my next guest today. His name is Mike Posner. Now, for those of you that don't know who Mike is for some reason, he is an accomplished singer, songwriter, Grammy-nominated individual. He's a poet and he's a producer as well. But also, more than that, Mike has one heck of a story of sheer adventure. It's rich. He's been uh, famous as well. He's had everything that the world perceives as being successful. And yet, he knows what it's like to uh, feel like somewhat forgotten, to grieve, to grow, to embrace uh, that what is most important in life and ultimately to express his ultimate truths through art. And he's um, got an incredible story of wanting to do things in his life that um, may, not, may not be, I guess, normal for a lot of us, such as uh, walking across America and then deciding that that wasn't enough for him. And then he took on Mount Everest. And but before taking on Mount Everest, he had to climb 71 other mountains just to train for that uh, big Mount Everest climb. So M- Mike has also collaborated with some of the the best, most notable names uh, in the music business, such as Justin Bieber. Uh, he wrote the Boyfriend song, Maroon Five. He did Sugar. Pharrell, Snoop Dogg, Nick Jonas, and the late and great Avicii. Many of you would know who those people I just mentioned are. Mike's career today is still foremostly him trying to express his authentic truth with the world while also trying to remain as present as he possibly can. So I know you guys are going to absolutely love this conversation. I could have spoken to Mike for hours and just listened to him share the crazy adventures that he's been on and all the lessons that he's learned along the way. So I hope that you guys enjoy this one leading into the new year and all the things that you actually want to achieve in this brand new year. I hope that it's an amazing one for you. I hope that you stay safe. Um, and I think this one is going to help a lot of us understand that life is meant to be lived. Every single moment that we have is meant to be cherished and appreciated because we're not guaranteed of a tomorrow. So I think this one uh, is going to help many people and it's also going to be enjoyable at the same time. Uh, all right, my friends, please don't forget to share it around with all your friends and your family. Uh, please help spread the, the amazing stories that are being shared on the story box far and wide to as many people as you possibly can. All right. You know what time it is, my friends. It is time to journey with me into this story box and listen to the amazing wisdom, the advice and the incredible stories of none other than Mike Posner. 
Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Dude, it's an absolute honor to have you here on the show. I mean, I remember hearing you, that song, I Took a Pill in Ibiza, way back when. And then I've since sort of followed your career since then, but got to know more about you on, on my friend Rich Roll's podcast where you sort of opened up a little bit more or a lot more, actually, I should say, which kind of made me appreciate your story and who you are so much more than just this artist. And you've done so many incredible things, man. So thank you so much for making the time to be here. The very first question that I do have for you, though, is what does success look like for you? It's changed a lot over the course of my life. And, uh, I'm sure it'll continue to evolve, but right now success looks like at any given moment, how present am I? Am I, am I here in the moment or am I lost in my mind, either future or past in thinking? Am I, have I descended into thinking about reality or am I in reality? Mm. So for me, that's what success looks like right now. Um, obviously, that's a that's an internal game, mm. right? Um, I, I no matter what I'm doing, I'm playing that internal game, and I'm either it's it, it, on. It, I guess it can, it can be looked at as quite binary. Like it's either you're you're present, you're here, or you're not. You know, there's ve- many permutations of not being present. You can be um lost in the future and that you know that that manifests anxiety um or worry you could be lost in the past now manifests as like depression or regret um but these are all like different permutations of just you know not being not being here um so that's an internal game now obviously like i have you know external goals like things I'm playing at and playing with and that things I want to accomplish. And and those are always changing and, and mutating. And, um, but as I, as I go after those things, um, where they be professional or, um, you know, intellectual things I want to learn, I'm playing the internal game at the same time. Yeah. One thing that kept coming to mind as you're saying, you know, it's about, trying to remain in the present moment, not get lost uh, in anxiety or worry or, or any of those things is how do we keep ourselves within the present moment? And have you found that difficult to do over the course of your life? Oh yeah. It's extremely difficult, you know, and uh, I'll, I'll probably say I fail at it more than I succeed at it. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the way I practice it is like some amalgamation or bastardization of like the teachings of Titnat Han and, and Eckhart Tolle mostly. Uh, so re- read a lot of those guys' books or, you know, maybe more accurately read like a few of those guys' books over and over again. Those being like the power of now. Um, what's the Titnat? Is it peace is in every step or peace within every step? I got a bunch of Titnat Han books. And, um, <laughs> One is called like how to connect and um, yeah. So some of the, some of the, uh, the strategies that they lay out um, are ones like I'm sure you're familiar with your breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle will say, you know, try to maintain some awareness of your own body, you know, you, you, as you're listening, as you're speaking. So I'm trying to do that as we speak right now. You know, we're having a conversation. We might talk about the walk across America or success or um, the climb of Mount Everest and all that's happening. But at the same time, there's a there's a part of me that's just here feeling being here. And um, so, yeah, those are a few, few of the strategies. And then I have some backstops built into my life. Um, because I get lost all the time in my head, but every day there's, you know, usually two sits of formal meditation where I'm, you know, practicing with the mantra or with the breath. Um, and then I, I practice walking meditation as well. 
um, where, you know, as I, as I'm taking a step, I'm, I'm breathing and just being with the breath or being with the sensation, of my body, like really feeling my feet on the ground. And, and, uh, when I notice my, myself having descended into thought, which happens every single time, then I just gently go back to either the breath or the mantra or the step and, and that's it. I'm a creative individual like yourself, not as, you know, in music sense, but more in the, the film and writing and stories and, and that sort of fear. So my brain is constantly going a million miles an hour. And it's, it's, uh, it's interesting for me to try and bring it back to the present moment to try and uh, keep it there for as long as I possibly can without it going off into this deep thought somewhere else. <laughs> so I like how you said, you know, it's doing walking meditation. Cause I do that. Sometimes I do a lot of running myself in nature, getting the breath working. And I also listen to podcasts at the same time when I'm running and that just helps me, keeps me grounded at the same time, but it also like, it just helps me to, to ground myself to make, reality known to me if that makes sense at all do you do a lot of running yourself i do run i like to uh you know this is the first time i um i don't belong to a gym anymore <laughs> and uh so i'm just doing all the exercise either running and i do gravel biking now oh. um so i would say probably five days out of the week and then the other two i'm doing yoga um i'm either on that bike outside or running outside and, uh, and then I got like a pull-up bar and dip, dip bar and that's it. And, yep. uh, get, getting all my gains outdoors these days. You know? I'm pretty much the same as you, man. That's what I do as well. Uh, yeah. you, you also mentioned, uh, just a moment ago, you know, your trip, uh, walking across America and then your Mount Everest trip as well. Are you training for anything new in the new year at all? Just curious. I'm training for longevity, for health right now. Um, I don't have a, a crazy physical adventure um, planned. You know, when I, when I sort of looked at my life a few years ago, there was a lot of things I wanted to accomplish on the external plane, like we talked about. Um, and two of those were explicitly athletic. Yeah. Um, the first was walk to walk across America. And the, the second one, which I wasn't even sure of like, is this even like possible was to summit Mount Everest, the tallest mountain on planet earth. And, uh, I just thought, you know, like from a strategic standpoint, like, cause there, there are a bunch of other things that, that were interesting to me, things I wanted to learn, things I wanted to become skilled at, um, spiritual things, intellectual things, artistic things. Those were really athletic things that of course were also, you know, spiritual, you know, um, and also like intellectual in their own way. Cause I learned so much. Um, but they were explicitly athletic as well. And I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm 29, I'm 33 now at the time I'm looking at this list, I'm 29, 30 and going, Hey, uh, if you're going to do these, do them now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was it. And, uh, you know, thankfully those boxes have been ticked and, and I'm still alive, you know? Um, and, uh, Everest really changed that for me because I had some goals of, uh, while I was training for Everest, I was thinking about, you know, there's, there's all these mountains that have never been climbed. Yeah. Cause you go to the Karakoram range or the Himalaya range and there's, you know, there's hundreds of mountains taller than Denali. Many of them don't even have names yeah. and no one climbs them because everyone goes and climbs the same 10 peaks over and over and over again. Yeah. And I thought, how freaking cool would it be to, you know, go climb? A, it's called a first ascent. Go get a first ascent with my coach. Um, but Everest, Everest really changed my, my risk tolerance, Jay, where... Um, it so easily could have gone wrong. Even if I was doing everything right, things happen up on mountains that tall, avalanches, and you just, like, you you twist the ankle or something, like, 
no helicopter coming to get you there. No one's coming to get you. It's way too high. You know, you're like 10, 7,000 feet above where a helicopter can go. It's, you know, it's, it's really dangerous, you know? And, and there were people there that, you know, climbing the same time I was that aren't alive anymore. Yeah. And, uh, I'm just grateful, grateful to be alive. And, and like, you know, my sort of, uh, exploration of self and like what I was capable of on the external plane, um, was really healthy in many respects, but pushed to the very, very extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways it's silly because yeah. you say, Hey, I'm exploring myself. You know, I want to see what I'm capable of. That's great. You should do that. But you push to very, very extreme, which is what Mount Everest is. It's like, hey, are you you, you want to die for that? Like seeing what you're capable of. It's kind of a silly thing to die for. Yeah. There's good things to die for, you know, like you save like your family or something. Like my mom's in another room, you know, it's like someone's messing with her. Like, yeah, that that's a good thing. But for your own, like, hey, I want to see how yeah. tough I am. That seems like kind of a silly thing to die for. So, so Everest really changed my risk tolerance. And I realized after doing Everest, um, I don't have to prove anything. You know, my life is here and now. And I don't have to prove anything to other people or to myself. You know, um, life is right here, right now. And you don't have to go to the tallest mountain in the world or walk across America or even to go to like a, a, a meditation center to be here. You know, the only time to be present is now. The only place to be present is here. It's like whoever is listening or watching this, look around. Look at your screen. If you if you got the headphones on, look where you're at. This is it. Yeah. This is your freaking life. You know, and if, if you can't be happy now, you can never be happy. The Buddha said, we got to make this moment the most wonderful moment of our lives. And that's it, you know, that's it. Because that's all we're guaranteed of, isn't it? This moment. It's the only thing that's real. You know, the rest is is like a, a vague mind projection. That's that's a step removed from reality, yeah. you know. And, you know, not to get too out here, but like in a very, in a very sort of nuts and bolts way, like this is your life, this is it. And the, the future doesn't exist in a real way, the way like this thing exists, you know, or like this guitar pig exists, you know, and neither does the past, you know, we're just, we're just here. Um, and so the, the, the more I can be in that space, the more successful I feel, you know, was there a specific moment for you that you kind of realized your own mortality? Several, mm. you know, uh, the first being, the first being the death of my father, wow. he died. Um, he died, went to the funeral and everyone kept hugging me. And I went home. I smelled like a thousand different perfumes, you know, all these different people hugging me. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's, it's finally quiet. You know, it's like the funeral's big thing. And I noticed his photo album. It just caught my eye and I grabbed the photo album. I flipped it open and I saw myself looking back at me, only it wasn't quite myself. It was this photo of my dad when he was my age. And we looked like exactly the same, like him in the photo looked exactly the same as how I looked at that time in my life. And it just hit me, you know, he once looked how you look now he's dead so you're next i'm next i'm next and it remind me yeah like it, it actually you know was this moment of like satori this this flash of of presence you know where um the 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 voice in my head that's always thinking, categorizing, analyzing, planning. I nicknamed that voice Charlie. That 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 thing in your head, all your listeners have it. That it's just talking all day. In a voice. You think that's you. It's not you. It's just a voice in your head. It's a very small part of you. 
when I looked at this photo of my father, my voice in my head is stopped. And it was this moment of peace. And I think most people have had at least one of these moments in their life. Virginia Woolf called those moments of being where everything just makes sense. You're not thinking what's life's purpose. Cause it's just, you, you're in it, yeah. you know, you're not analyzing. You're not. So it stopped a few hours later, it was back talking at me, you know, then two years after my dad died, I had this dream of, of walking across America. And I'd had the dream for many years, but something always got in the way. So I had researched the walk across America. You know, I had told people that I wanted to walk across America one day. I had even gotten contact with people that had walked across America and interviewed them. And I found out there's a strategy to it. It's best to walk east to west and you start in early spring in an attempt to be done before winter, you know, so you walk spring, summer, fall, hopefully, and then you're done. Now, what happened was each time spring rolled around, there was something in the way. There was some reason I had not to start. It was an album I hadn't, didn't have done. There was a tour I needed to do to support the last album. There was a wedding that needed to be attended. There was always a reason. And I talked to my friend, Elliot. I said, Elliot, like, I'm like, I don't know what's up with me. I just, I feel uninspired about life. He, he said, why? And I said, well, I, you know, I'm putting out this album and I got all these interviews and promo to do. And I just don't, that's part of being a recording artist. You know, you, you make the music and then you go like promote it. <laughs> And I, I was like, bro, I just don't do it anymore. Mm. He said, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I said, well, I want to walk across America, but my agents, my managers, I've talked to them about it. They think it's crazy. He goes, that's great news. I said, what do you mean it's great news? He said, you got to understand, not all crazy ideas are great, but all great ideas are crazy. It's mm. good. And I think you walking across America is a great idea. And I just felt it in that moment. I, th I felt the truth behind what he was saying. I just decided like it, it, it cascaded through my body. I was like, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to go this, this spring. This is it. And I went uh, April 15th to Asbury Park, New Jersey. And saltwater waves are crashing over my back i'm standing in the ocean getting ready to start this walk across america to the other ocean which is 2800 miles away 13 american states and i have no idea if i can do it i'm i'm actually like really scared in that moment because i told everyone i told my fans i told my family that you know i'm going to do this thing i'm going to walk across america but i have no real freaking idea if i can do it you know, all I have is like my belief, you know, that I keep like repeating in my mind, like I will walk, you know, I have that. And I just, at a, after a certain point, I had to realize, you know, that I do realize with those waves crashing, crashing over me, that these thoughts of uncertainty and fear are just that, the thoughts of uncertainty and fear. And I can have those and still, still go. Yeah. I can be scared and, and afraid and still go. And so I take my first step. Step one is take one step. Step one is take one step. And I walked uh, across New Jersey. I walked across coal country and Lancaster County in Pennsylvania, where I shared a road with how much buggies and I walked across, uh, Ohio, I saw a double rainbow there and got horrible allergies, you know, near Dayton. I walked across Indiana in eight days. I developed like horrible plantar fasciitis, which is like basically just horrible foot pain. 
uh, but I kept walking and I walked across Illinois. Um, I walked across Missouri during a heat wave and a flood uh, where days where I had to like literally walk the wrong direction because the roads were underwater. They'd become lakes. I walked uh, into uh, Kansas. I walked across Kansas 400 plus miles. I walked into Colorado. I could just see the Rocky mountains on the horizon. I'd walked 1,797 miles since that first step when bang, I felt like a pain shoot up my leg and I heard a sound that I, I didn't want to hear. And that was, Oh, I realized that, a. A poisonous rattlesnake had just sunk its fangs into my my left leg. And long story short, I was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it was a couple fans that showed up to walk with me that day. One of whom was named Jack. They called nine one one. They let me speak to dispatch. Um, and the venom started to go through my body. And it was sort of like the end. I don't know if you ever seen Looney Tunes. You're pretty young, but uh, at the end of Looney Tunes, there's all these circles that converge on the center of the screen, and it says, "That's all, folks." It was like that, but it was it was like instead of circles, it was darkness was creeping in on my awareness. And the woman on the phone, dispatch from nine one one, said, uh, "You know, I've sent." two ambulances from two separate towns and a helicopter, whichever gets there first, get in. And I said, am I going to die? And the voice on the other end of the phone said, I don't know, sir. So it is probably the second time I was reminding my mortality, you know, in the, in the long story short, uh, the first thing I got there was an ambulance. So I got in, as she said, and I just realized, you know, this, this ain't a freaking bee sting, man. This ain't a bee sting. And uh, this, this could be the last day of my life. So, you know, I'm, I'm on a stretcher in the back of the ambulance going to the hospital. And I just made a decision in that moment, like, hey, you know, if this is the last day of my life, I'm not going to waste it worrying about if it's the last day of my life or not, I'm going to enjoy it. And maybe I just have like two, three hours. I don't know. Like, great. Like, let's just come on. Like, like, let's enjoy this thing, you know? And right when I made that decision was like another moment of being another moment of peace where the blabber box voice in my head, the Charlie stopped talking, no thinking, no analyzing, no categorizing, no planning. And I just noticed like the color red on the back of the ambulance door and how bright and passionate and alive it was. And it was just, just there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'd probably be the, the second one. Now, just to, you know, kind of tie up that story. I, w- I went to the hospital and my leg swelled like the sides of an elephant trunk. I obviously didn't die. Thank, thank God. Um, but I went from walking 24 miles a day to I can't walk to the bathroom without a walker and somebody helping me. And I spent three nights at ICU, five nights in the hospital. I go home to continue healing. And then like was the hardest part of the snake bite was actually getting better from the snake bite. Because when I was injured, everyone was like freaking taking care of me, coddling me, John Mayer's DMing me, wishing me well in my DMs. You know, it's like I was in this nest of of cuddly, sympathetic softness. And after three weeks, I couldn't deny it anymore. My freaking leg was better. And I knew what that meant. That meant I had 1,000, 1,000. Uh, hot and horrible miles left to walk. That's 38 marathons left to walk. And, and it hurts, you know, it freaking hurts your body to do that. You know, like, so I always tell people like that leg was jacked up, but like the rest of me actually felt great, you know, after like getting that time off. And 
I knew like I had hell waiting for me out there. Snake riddled shoulders of Colorado 10, sweltering heat, excruciating foot pain. And we talked about reasons, like before I started the walk was I had these, all these re like there was the album, the reasons I couldn't start next year, next year, next year. Well, now I got like this amazing reason why I don't need to finish. Yeah, I got bit by a freaking rattlesnake, you know, I could quit and nobody even will think I'm a quitter. Cause it's a pretty darn good reason, yeah. you know, but I had to decide, Hey, am I going to live my life? According to my reasons, a reasonable life, or like in the landmark form, they say, or an unreasonable life. And I live life according to my commitments. Which one? It's no right or wrong, you know, but you have one life that's a little bit smaller. It's like, oh, that guy stays home, you know? And he says, those thousand miles, they weren't meant to be. We say that a lot, don't we? It wasn't meant to be. What does that mean, though, a lot of the times? means I'm, I'm freaking giving up yeah. and I'm justifying it, you know? And so it was like, screw it. I'm going back. You know, I got these, I got hell waiting for me. Great. I'm ready to meet hell. Let's do this. So I went back to that same spot. The snake bit me and I went up and over the Rocky mountains. I kept taking steps. I went across the Navajo nation, kept taking steps. I went across uh, Arizona I went across a little bit of Nevada, kept taking steps. When into California, people start congratulating me. California is 300 miles wide. So why the frick you congratulate me? I didn't come walk to California. I say walk across America. You know, I'm not done. So I walk across the Mojave Desert. I keep taking steps. I walk into LA. I see the Hollywood sign on my right. I keep taking steps. And the, the pavement turns into sand and like my walk turns into a sprint and I keep taking steps. And after six months and three days from standing in the Atlantic Ocean, taking step one, I walked 2,851 miles and I dove into the Pacific Ocean. And it felt like the first day of my life. Now that sort of like segues into probably the third time reminding my mortality which was I dive in that water, finish the walk. I thought I'd feel accomplished. I thought I'd feel done. I didn't at all. It felt like uh, a beginning. Um, first day of my life, like, wow. I didn't know I could really do this. Like what else is on the menu for me? And I had this, this sort of dream we talked about at the beginning. It was on my list, but I, it wasn't something I didn't really, it wasn't a goal. It was a dream. And that was to summit Mount Everest, the tallest mountain on planet earth. And when I got in that water, I thought I could really do that. Yeah. It's going to be unimaginably hard to go from who I am right now in this Pacific ocean who has no experience mountaineering to climbing Mount Everest. But look, like I just did something imagine unimaginably hard. So like, I can like, this is on the menu for me. And that dream started to turn into a plan. And so um, I ended up being introduced to the man that became my coach, Dr. John Kudrowski. And I said, look, man, this, you know, my goal, but I have no interest in, go in going unprepared. Mm. And he said, don't worry. You know, you can, like, I have no interest in taking you if you're unprepared. <laughs> and uh, also you could be prepared. And it's going to take a year and a half. And I said, great, I'm all in. I'm all in. And John has a great, great quote. He says, train for climbing mountains by climbing mountains. Isn't that great? Like what you do, like with your video and your storytelling, like you can read as many books about the video, you know, and cinematography. And it's like, you ain't going to freaking learn it until you take the camera out and shoot something. 
right? He like learned how to do a podcast to do a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So train for climbing mountains by climbing mountains. I love that. And that's exactly what we did. So over the next year and a half, John and I climbed 71 mountains together. Goodness. And they were all over. You know, we were pretty hampered by COVID. By, you know, a lot of things were closed. A lot of countries were closed. But we climbed, you know, all over the states. A lot. I hope Colorado, um, Ecuador. We went to Pakistan. We went to Mexico. Um, he worked the heck out of me. And uh, a lot of that training was freaking i'll say a lot of that training reminded me of my mortality too mm. you know because everest is the thing i end up talking about i want you know I do a podcast we talk about everest but it's like hey some of those trainings life was on the line too you know we go climb this thing with no rope it's like bro why do we have a rope you know it's like he goes when you're on the ridge on summit day and you are roped up because there's a rope on everest mm. on our on the route we went Thanks to the the lead team, you know, the rope isn't just magically there. Freaking let legendary climbers go up first, set the set the route. So, you know, let's give credit to them. <laughs> so <laughs> Yucko Puds like me who aren't as good can can go up on the rope, but it's still really freaking hard. Um, but anyways, he's like, you know, when you get on the ridge on summit day and you're on, you're not gonna be scared. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna look off. You're going to look off Mount Everest and see a 10,000 foot drop and you're not going to be scared. And that was true. That was true. When I got there that day, I was scared of the altitude and my own fatigue, you know, run out of steam Mm -hmm. because that's how people die there as well. You know, they just, they think about the summit, summit's halfway. Get the summit, you got to get all the way down. The summit is the furthest point from safety. The summit. So a lot of people just they think about the summit, summit, summit. But you have to have enough energy to get yourself down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like it's not like running the New York Marathon. You get tired and you quit. You just take the subway home. It's not like that. Yeah. You know, you don't have enough gas to get yourself down. You don't come down ever. It's the end of your life. So I was afraid of that, but I wasn't afraid of. Um, I'm jumping ahead in the story. I wasn't afraid of the, the heights, but you know, we went to Pakistan, Mexico, and, and we went to Nepal finally. And Everest is is weird because you got to wait for a long time. Expedition about two months. A lot of it's waiting yeah. for the weather to be perfect. You know, not perfect, but it's you know, as good as it can be. And so this is a real mental thing, real mental thing. Cause you just, we're just sitting there, you know, like I forgot I was even a climber, you know, it's like, that's how I even know there was 71 mountains. Cause I had to, I made a list in base camp. I'm like, <laughs> I forgot what it was like. My last year and a half, I've just been climbing, 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 climbing. Now I'm just sitting here waiting, you know, I have done that so long. So on our summit uh, push, you know, like four people are already dead that year. Um, we we go up to camp two in a storm because we know the weather is going to be kind of marginal, but in a few days, it's going to be great. We want to be in position, you know, getting up there is going to take four or five days. We want to be at camp four when it's good. So we go to camp two in a storm get to camp two it's snowing 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 now what happens in mountains when it snows a lot that's when avalanches happen because it loads up on steep faces and they slide down so we're sleeping in camp two which is like my least favorite place on earth it's it's at about twenty one thousand three hundred feet above sea level I don't know how many meters that is. I think it's probably in the 6,000s. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> it's probably in the 6,000. And it just feels horrible just to be alive there because 
there's no air. You know, there's, I think about a third of the oxygen that, that you and I are breathing right now in the air there. And I can't, I can't really explain to you what that's like. Like you're a fit guy, you know, I was really fit going there. I was in really good shape, you know, you and I, we go up there and you take, uh, you know, you take a short walk to the bathroom and you, you feel like you just sprinted 400 meters. Like you're that out of breath from just walking to the, the, you know, the, the outhouse, you'd be like, <laughs> like that, you know? So, and then it's what happens when you try to go to sleep. Well, when you try to go to sleep, close your eyes. And as you know, when you sleep, your, your, uh, your body relaxes, your, your, um, respiration slows, right? When we sleep, we breathe slower than we do if, when we're awake. So, I start anytime I started to fall asleep, I can't too. My body just thought I was suffocating, like I was underwater. And so I'd sleep for maybe 10 seconds. And then it's <gasps> like that. My body would just do that, you know, involuntarily. Now I'm awake again. And it's like, okay, you put a couple of days of that in a row. And it's like sleep deprivation. That's the level from which you then try to climb on Everest. It's not like we go there and we just rested and, you know, got a massage and we're feeling a hundred. No, you don't feel a hundred. You feel 15%. At least this was my experience. And then with that 15%, you try to climb Mount Everest and the training makes that possible, but it doesn't make it easy. No. It doesn't make it easy. Anyways. So we're, you know, we're laying, I'm laying in the tent next to Dr. John. And I hear this rumble. There's an avalanche. And I'd heard this sound many times, so I didn't think much of it because usually it's just far away. Here's rumble. It's a huge noise. But I'm just, yeah, another avalanche. A couple of seconds pass, and then all hell breaks loose. Our tent starts shaking. Like I feel like we're about to get blown off the mountain. I'm screaming, John, 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 avalanche, avalanche. And like in that moment, it wasn't like the ambulance. It was like, this is just, it, it, my life's over now. And it was scary. It was scary. It wasn't a moment of being. It was a moment of fear. And uh, inexplicably, 10 seconds later, it just stopped. And my hands are shaking. I'm like, what happened? How are we still here? We figured out that the avalanche actually stopped just before hitting our camp. And so what we felt was like the, the vicious last breaths of the air that the avalanche pushed, the snow that the avalanche pushed forward. Um, still, the damage is really real. And, and we were really lucky. But we didn't have much time to think about it. You know, that happened at maybe 1 a.m., 3 a.m. You get up to climb to Camp 3. And uh, went to Camp 3. And, um, you know, two days later, I'm, a, I'm approaching the summit and my mind and body teetering upon exhaustion. It's like a lot of reasons pulling me down. One commitment, keeping me going up. And on June 1st, 2020, at, at 4.35 a.m., I sort of like flopped onto the summit of Mount Everest and, and then tears just like exploded out of my face. And the words, like there's a video of me. I didn't remember where John took a video and the words like this took everything. It's kind of dribbled out of my mouth. And that was a moment to be, you know, that was a moment of peace and beauty. And a lot of people don't realize that mountains have shadows. Mm. You know, so when the sun rises, which it was, you know, we got there at the perfect time and we were ahead. We were the first team up that day. So there was no line in front of us. So we're sitting on the summit of Mount Everest. And the sun is rising and you see Mount Everest shadow. It's this giant pyramid, you know, cast over like hundreds of miles. It goes into, into Tibet, into China. 
it's not, it was nothing like it. Um, and then, like I say, it had to get down. So we started coming down and we descended past dead bodies. And I was just reminded on my way down, like what a privilege it, it is to be a living human being. So I'll say like that whole experience was another time I was reminded of my own mortality. And, you know, like just being here talking to you today, um, I'm about to make music after this is like, it's a privilege. Most people are already dead. <laughs> you think about that? Most people are already dead. And uh, me, you, and everyone listening to this, we're some of the few lucky ones who get to be alive now. Um, and look, I say this stuff, those sentences I just said, as a reminder of myself, I forget it all the time. I'm not some guy that's like walks around in a state of bliss always, you know, but this is, this is, um, I am a guy who's, who's accomplished meaningful things to me. I've checked off, off some pretty big boxes mm-hmm. and big by my own measure of big. That's why I was attracted to those things in the first place. And you mentioned, I'm like Grammy nomination, Platinum Records, um, wrote songs for Justin Bieber, Maroon 5, uh, walked across America, climbed Mount Everest. And like, I'm, I'm here to report back what I've learned. And that is that you don't need your, your father to die or to walk across America or to risk your life climbing Mount Everest to feel peace to feel present. The only, I said it already, the only time to be present is now, you know? And you got to be careful because your mind, my mind, my Charlie, my voice in my head is going to try to make a goal out of it, right? We're like productive people. So you're working on stuff. I'm working on stuff. But it's going to try to make, your mind will try to make peace a goal. Mm. And that's always an illusion. It's going to say, if you do this meditation retreat, then you can feel peace. If you, you know, eat right, then you can feel peace. If you walk across America, then if you climb on Earth, then you can feel, if you get this perfect job, if you grow the podcast of this thing, then you can feel what the list goes on. And you, the thing, if blank, then you will feel peace. Yours is going to be different than mine, but yours is just as much an illusion and full of shit as mine is. Okay. So that's, that's my message is look, I, like I, I got all that stuff. It didn't make me feel peace, except for in these these flashes, these moments, the looking at the photo, the ambulance, the on the summit. But then it was gone again. This voice is back, you know, and it's like, hey, that's your brain trying to make presence into a goal in the future. By definition, presence can't be in the future. Presence can only be in the present. Yeah. So. So this moment, this moment, this moment is your life, is my life, is all your listeners' life. Look around. And like the Buddha said, we got to make this moment the most wonderful moment of our lives. Man, I could listen to you tell stories for hours. (laughs) I was really, really enjoying those stories, mostly because they actually happened. But the way you're describing the setting, what you're going through and what you learn as a result, like being aware of your own mortality. And the one question that was burning through my brain the entire time was having said all that, having lived through these experiences, having realized that, you know, all these high and and big things, chasing Grammys and, and all that sort of stuff, which you have, you know, done for quite some time, you know, that satisfies for a short period of time, but there's no real fulfillment, which is what I think a lot of people are going through at the moment. Having said all this, do you fear death today at all? 
I would say like, I really like being alive. There's more stuff I want to do for sure. So if you say, Hey Mike, you could die today or not die today. I would pick not die today. Yeah. You know, uh, Same. <laughs> and I do, I do fear like, I guess to be honest, like kind of a, a, like a scary or a painful death, like an avalanche death, like doesn't sound super great to me. The snake bite death was actually like kind of nice. You just sit there and you can kind of think about it, you know, and like enjoy, enjoy those last moments. Um, I guess in some respects, um, I would say, fear fear is probably the not the word i would use but like i feel like there's still there's still more stuff i want to do for sure like life is so cool you know so look like if i had to die today i would i would do my best to make peace with it like i did in that ambulance you know um but if it given the option to like yes or no I want to keep living, man. It's it's pretty cool. And I'm learning so much still. And like, I feel like there's more music inside me and just, um, yeah, more I want to share. I was thinking about that a lot on Everest. There's more, there's more music in you, man. You can't freaking die here. You know? It's <laughs> not my time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I just want to keep sharing, like keep bringing out what I got to, to share, you know, and, and that's it. You know, that's all you can do. And we like, want you to keep sharing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I guess that, that, that probably is like the spirit of your question is like, how can you live in such a way where, um, you know, you're giving, you know, you're giving everything you can, like, you know, I should be approaching each song each day in the studio. Like it's my last, it should have that, that kind of poignancy. And, and I should approach with that much quality. You should be approaching each podcast you do with that same level. Like, what if this was my last one? Mm. Could I make it that good? And I think like, do I always do that? No, man. Like, I gotta be honest. Sometimes I'm fucking like mailing it in, going through the motions, but that's what I aspire to, you know? And like, you asked me a question, remind me today, like I got a studio session after this and I'm going to try to do that, you know, like just bring like, I need to live. We need to live in such a way we're giving it all while we can. And, and that's all you can do. That's all you can do, you know, today on that external plane and on that internal plane, you can be present while you do so, you know? Yeah. What's been the biggest lesson that you think you're currently learning at the moment? Is it being more towards the being more present or is it something else you reckon? I think right now I don't have like this, I don't have anything I'm all in on right now. Like I was all in on Everest, all in on the walk. And that in many ways simplifies life because all this stuff is out. This stuff is in. That's what I'm going to do. And that's it. And right now I'm sort of in the in-between period where there will be something I'm all in on again. I'm sure of that. But there has to be a period where you create some space and emptiness and decide what that is. Um, you don't want to just be going doing that, that, that always. Like, and I knew after I did everything, I, I need to stop. I need to stop and just make space. So for me, that's uncomfortable, you know, because it's like I'm not always busy all the time. And so it's it's hot, winning at that internal game without like having this thing you're obsessed with on the, on the external plane right now. That's, that's my lesson right now. That's a good lesson. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, my friend, going back a little bit to Mount Everest and even your walk, if you have a little bit more time, cause I, I do want to be respectful of it. I have a couple more minutes. I think my buddy's coming to, for the studio. So I want to be respectful of him, but maybe oh, okay. Of course. Of course. Okay. So two final questions for you, my friend may have to do a part two later on. Cause yeah. No few pages. But going back to the Everest side of things and, and speaking to the relationship that you've had, I guess, with being afraid or fear in general, how has your relationship with fear changed from the walk to Everest to even now, you think? It started, you know, going back to my music career, because anytime I go on stage or 
more accurately, anytime I'm about to go on stage, there's a hell of a lot of fear there. Mm. And so I had to just kind of go through that when I was young, when I started my career, when I was 21, 22, it's like, just like make yourself go out there. And then like, you're out there and it's the fear is gone. And it's like the bet, the most exhilarating moments of your life. So I sort of, I think internalized the lesson that, Hey, there's like a lot of beauty on the other side of that feeling. Yeah. You know, like, like you can have amazing moments on that stage, but you have to, feel the fear backstage and act anyways. So I think I have a healthy relationship in that regard to fear. Um, same, cause I felt the same feeling I talked about earlier in standing in the Atlantic ocean about yeah. to take my first step It's the same feeling, yeah. you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I might fuck this up. I don't know. So it's like, and then you feel it. It doesn't mean anything. Right that feeling doesn't mean you're going to fail. It just means you, it just means you're having that feeling. That's it. So you can feel the feeling and go anyways. So the relationship with fear, I think um, is just, I think is it, for me is healthy because of the, the, that, that stuff. Um, and uh, you know, but my risk tolerance has changed when I talked about that, you know, it's like, I wouldn't put my life on the line again, like I did with Everest. Um, for unless it was some other reason, like you know, I'm going to save somebody else or this kind of thing, you know, that kind of thing. But just for myself and my pride and seeing what I could do, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put my life in danger because my life is too beautiful and amazing, you know, to to put on the line again for that reason. That's good, man. This is my final question for you. This is my all-time favorite question. Would love to continue this conversation at another time um, mm. because, I, yeah, I could speak to you for ages. <laughs> uh, this is a hypothetical question, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call yeah. it magic for the sake of argument, but okay. I've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Well, <laughs> I think I say a lot of really stupid stuff. So <laughs> if, they, if they got everything, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's great. I think it's probably me saying dumb stuff for the most part of it. But what I'd want the spirit of it to be is uh, is I want my life to stand for transcendence. Um, so what does that mean? You know, it's a funny word. Maybe it sounds kind of new agey. When I say transcendence, I mean something that creates those moments of being something that cuts through the, the mundanity of normal life, you know, something that cuts through, Hey, we're just going through life, going through the motions and creates a moment where the blabber box stops, the thinking, categorizing, analyzing, planning stops. And another person, not me, another person is here present in this moment. And so if I can create those spaces, um, whether that's through, my language, when I speak on a podcast or when I speak to an audience live, um, or whether it's when I'm playing a song live, or whether it's when I release a piece of music or release a music video, or whether it's just having a conversation or not, or not even a conversation, just in the way I'm being with somebody else. Because I've met people that you're just around them and they're not even doing anything. They're not even saying anything. And this created transcendence in me where I'm just, wow, their energy is like so calm. So they're so here that now I'm here. It's like putting a, putting the log next to a log that's on fire. You know, it's, it talks about that in the power now. Well, now you're on fire. Now that second log. So um, that's what I would want, you know, the spirit of my life to, to, to stand for. That's a beautiful way to sort of end this conversation. 
Mike Posner, thank you so much, my friend, for everything that you're putting out there into the world, your light, your energy, and you're just being present today and in conversation with me. Really do appreciate it. So thank you so much, my friend, for joining me today on the Storybox podcast to say part one. Thank you, buddy. And uh, yeah, we'll do a part two sometime. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.